Welcome back. Oh, you have to turn up the volume. I turned down the red slider, Philip, sorry, because the music was kind of loud at the break. So how's the sound in the back? Audible? It's okay? All right, working? Good. Wow, we're back. That's great. So, all right. Ready for more? All right. More madness, more situations? Great. Okay. Um, gathering my mind for one quick second. Shifting out of my lunch to this, but anyway. So now I want to segue into the section on compassion and loving kindness. So if you just feel, again, in the progression here. We've, we've talked about the role of love, broadly defined, and relationship practice, broadly defined, in Buddhism. And then naturalizing the mind, what that actually might mean. Then we went into the evolution of the brain, our deeply social qualities. Then we talked about the challenge of the two wolves in the heart and the opportunity, right? To feed the wolf of love and restrain the wolf of hate. Then we got into being strong, because that's what we have to be to do this, right? Both in terms of self-compassion and cultivating a sense of strength. Then we segued into empathy, because now we're strong, right? We're like the deeply rooted tree. We can be empathic. And then now we're going to start segueing into being really loving toward each other, which is the foundation for being really strong with others. That's kind of the overarching structure altogether. Okay? That's kind of a frame. So now in the territory of compassion and loving kindness, we have this quote, since we're geeking out here, from Einstein, who had... You know, my son went on retreat to a Bayagiri, our son went on retreat to a Bayagiri monastery, a teen retreat. So it was kind of like retreat light, you know, but still it was a real retreat. And as it happened, um, on the retreat he was on, a young woman, a teenager like him, really twisted her ankle badly. So she had to be taken to the local community hospital in Ukiah, which is a very normal kind of hospital. So drunks are wandering in, and people out of bar fights, and you know, all kinds of stuff there. So to go to the hospital, the abbot, co-abbot of the monastery, Ajahn Pasano, went with them with kind of a junior monkish sort of person who could drive a car, because monks don't drive cars, at least in this tradition. So, and Forrest went with them, because he was a friend to this girl, this young woman. So they're sitting in the waiting room, hanging out. You can just imagine the whole scene. Monk in orange robes, shaved head, you know, people staring, community hospital, fine. Okay, so after the whole weekend, I was kind of asking Forrest about it. And he, like a lot of people, teenage boys maybe in particular, way into ESPN, sports metaphors, you know, he still is. Uh, he's 25 now. But anyway, at the end of it all, I just kind of asked him, what was it like? And he told me this whole story. And then he paused. And he said, you know, Dad, and Ajahn is an honorific. It's the title of a monk in this tradition. He said, you pause, you look to her, I said, you know, Dad, those odd johns have game. <laughs> That's high praise. <laughs> high praise. And I think Albert Einstein had serious game as well. So that's my transition here. But I thought it was kind of a funny little story. Okay, here we go. A human being is a part of a whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. And forgive, please, the gendered language here. Uh, I think I can translate. Here we go. Uh, a person experiences oneself, his or her thoughts and feelings, as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires 
and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its beauty. It's really to expand the circle of us, where the wolf of love is very engaged, to them, to widening the circle of us to include them as part of the circle of us. We may take them to court, you know. We may um, disengage from them because it's not safe to be with them, but we don't need to put them out of our heart, you know, quoting Gil Fronstone to me. So as a image of kind of classic icons of compassion and loving kindness, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa, and of course His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Um, you know, I think it's powerful to appreciate that in evolution, the wolf of love is stronger and more central to us than the wolf of hate. The wolf of hate gets the press. As they say in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. Right? You know, we're going to hear about the murder, the burglary, the crazy situation, the war, the this or the that. And yet we're surrounded by daily acts of cooperation, kindness, friendship, friendliness, patience, forbearance, including for people that are complete strangers, complete strangers to us. And it's also powerful to appreciate that cultivation, pardon me, that compassion or kindness, love, can be cultivated. You know, early on in my marriage, uh, I started thinking about this idea of, um, of cultivating the muscle of the heart, of love. What is it like to love in the face of provocation? You know, what is it like to develop that as an important aspect of us? And along those lines, it has a lot of impact to think about people in our lives who are exemplars from that, who are exemplars of the cultivation of love, the cultivation of the heart, famous ones, and also... Our grandmother. Uh, I heard a story last night from a woman who uh, works for me uh, about her own childhood and about how really, really massively inappropriate her father was in all kinds of ways and how heroic, even saintly, her mother was over a 20-year history there. You know, we're surrounded by all these examples and we, we tend to not think about them because they're just sort of matter of fact and yet they're important to appreciate how much you know, lovingness can be cultivated. Or even think about times ourselves as we, uh, that we have cultivated love or loved in the face of provocation. So we have here uh, the Loving Kindness Sutta that um, I read once before. Right? You know, omitting none in all directions. As a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all loving beings all living beings. So how do we do it? Okay? Compassion. Compassion in the brain evolved in a very narrow sense, a biological, physical sense, because it promoted the survival of our ancestors. And it kept children alive, and it kept their children's children alive. Uh, There's... uh, a very interesting work that's been done on why did humans evolve compassion? Because compassion is weird in the animal kingdom, right? Um, compassion is not emotional contagion. I mean, mature animals will experience, they'll resonate sometimes with the feeling of others, but to really, really go out of their way 
to take care of others is not that common. It happens. There are these beautiful touching stories of elephants gathering where one of them was killed or um, bears you know, nuz- you know, nuzzling each other when they've been wounded. In primate bands, um, there are processes of comforting primates who've been whacked by an alpha, male or female, let's say. But it's not certainly at all as developed as it's been in, in human beings. And I think surrounded as we are in media and in just kind of everyday examples of people being really mean to each other, you know, really bad to each other, I think it's important to have the strength and have the courage to hold on to the possibility of lovingness, you know, that's woven into the fabric of human DNA, as well as, of course, in our spirit. So what helps us be compassionate? And then I thought we could do a compassion and loving-kindness practice, all right? In practice, the two tend to mush together, compassion being the wish that a being not suffer, kindness being the wish that a being be happy. That's kind of the traditional distinction. Compassion presupposes suffering. Kindness does not. We can wish that a being be happy who is suffering, but we can also wish that a being be happy who's doing okay or is actually having well-being. Right? See what I'm, the distinction between compassion and kindness? But in practice, the two tend to come together, and that's how we'll do the practice that I'm going to get to momentarily. So what are some of the factors that help us cultivate compassion uh, for others as well as kindness? One factor is to feel loved yourself. If you're really saintly, or simply oneself on a good day, right? even when we feel like we're running on empty, we can find love for others. But boy, lots of studies show it's a lot easier, and we're a lot more inclined, and it's a lot, we're a lot more able to sustain it over the long haul to give to others when our own cup runneth over. You know, when we put our own oxygen mask on first, right? when we fill ourselves up, including feeling cared about. Because it's interesting that feeling cared about by others, because that's what the practice we did, and that's why I did it early. When we feel cared about by others, that warms up the attachment circuits in the brain, and then we can bring that warmth to others. See, once we receive it, we're then more able to give it. Okay? So that's one major way to strengthen the sense of compassion. All right? Another is, as it says here, distress tolerance, we have to be able to tolerate the feelings because compassion means at root to suffer with, calm, calm with, patio, suffering. We're with them. And if we can't stand to be empathically resonant with the other person, if we can't tolerate the distress that stirs up in ourselves, we can't sustain compassion for them. And then the last three, they're, they're written here. I'll just point them out kind of quickly. It helps to have sense of commonalities there's, a, there's research that shows that inside uh, an MRI, if you're shown a picture of someone who's suffering, who's like you, whatever you are, in terms of gender or race or age or kind of like um, social class, compared to seeing someone who's suffering who's other, in terms of age, gender, social class, whatever, the brain's response of compassion to the suffering of the other, including the movement to act, which lights up motor circuits in the brain, is faster if they're like me, for most people. It doesn't mean that we can't have compassion for the other. It just means that it helps us to see commonalities. Right? How is the other like us? They suffer too. I suffer, they suffer. They love their children too. 
right? They, um, they're going to die. I'm going to die. We don't want to die, generally, you know. Um, you know, how are we like each other? So you look for ways to feel like each other. Another is to um, separate compassion from moral judgment. Again, a lot of research has shown that we tend to not have compassion for those that we have moral contempt for or judgment about. And it's important to appreciate that someone, we can think to ourselves, you're the source of your problems. You've, your, your foot hurts because you threw a brick on it, but I can still have compassion for the fact that your foot hurts, right? It doesn't mean that I'm taking responsibility for your pain. You know, my foot hurts, it's your fault. Well, uh, no, uh, you threw the brick, you know what I mean? But I can still have compassion for the fact that your foot hurts and I wish you were not suffering. You see the distinction between compassion and moral judgment? That's a really good one to pay attention to. Watching judgmentalness, watching righteousness, you know, um, the view that the other is wrong or bad or deserves it or it's their fault or it's because they you know, were of bad character or not my way of seeing things that they're in this pickle. When that happens, it's hard to have compassion for them. And then last, to see the other uh, as a child. It's interesting to reflect on how these various charities around the world, these nonprofits, uh, if they're trying to have an appeal for funds, they'll usually show a picture of a child. right? And it's because there's something incredibly powerful in us that wants to take care of children, even not our own. Yes, it is also true people can be terrible toward the children of others and so forth. Um, but generally speaking, so now, so I'll do this often myself, especially if someone is being particularly aggravating. I'll try to, after I establish my wall of glass fence, and feel like a mighty tree, whatever, um, I'll try to see the child in them. I'll try to see the being behind the eyes. I'll try to imagine them as a kid. You know, sometimes I have to imagine them as a very young child, sometimes a really young child, you know what I mean? A, you know, newborn, whatever, before the rot set in. But, you know, it's to see the child in the other person. That can also help engender compassion. Okay? So then, as a setup for the practice we're about to do, as you probably know, how many of you have done metta practice or loving-kindness practice formally in Buddhism? About half of you. Okay, so this will be a bit of a review. Um, this is a way to structure it. It's not the only way to be compassionate, loving, caring, and so forth toward others, but it's a nice kind of simple structure. So I'll go through it with you here. Traditionally, there are four kinds of wishes for um, safety, health, happiness, and ease. Ease, broadly defined, is a lot about people's material circumstances. You know, may you have access to water. May you have access to flush toilets. You know, may you have enough money that you're comfortable. Maybe, may you have health insurance. Maybe you have a roof that doesn't leak. You know, ease. So those are the four classic wishes. They can be expressed just in those words. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you live with ease. And you can also get into detail about it, you know. Uh, may you be free from inner or outer harm in terms of safety. Or may you uh, recover from your trauma and not feel so threatened these days, you know, uh, when you are no longer uh, serving a tour of duty on a battlefield. Uh, may you be healthy. May your chemotherapy be successful. Uh, may the tumor be benign. Uh, may you recover from this illness. Uh, may your pain 
uh, let go, right? Or may you be happy, including something quite specific perhaps, you know? Like may you be less critical of yourself or may you really come to see more and more what really a loving, caring, fine person you are. Not a perfect person, but certainly a good one. So you, can, you can be more specific. Right? And then classically, there are five targets of loving-kindness practice or compassion practice. Um, oneself, a benefactor, a friend, a neutral person, or a difficult person, sometimes called the enemy. Now, in terms of the sequence, I'll actually start with the benefactor because that's the easiest. Someone that we're grateful to. Could be a teacher, could be a parent. Um, could be a friend who's really helped us. Um, you could even think of a mate in this way. Typically, though, mates fall in the friend category. And then friend, the neutral person, then, then oneself, and then difficult person. So that's the sequence. I'll do it with you, Ian. Ultimately, you can take this compassion practice beyond specific targets in an undifferentiated way, omitting none radiating compassion in all directions, and certainly including all living creatures, not just humans, right? The animals, sometimes it's talked about the creatures of the land, the sea, and the air. Um, I find it's kind of trippy to include microorganisms, you know, but geeking out here. But anyway, uh, you could even go out into the whole universe if you want, all 200 billion galaxies worth. Okay, so... Let's try it, right? And we're doing this as a practice for those that we're sending compassion to, and we're doing it for ourselves um, to strengthen this muscle, uh, as it were, inside our own heart. Okay? You want to try it? Okay. All right. So here we go. Coming into a sense of being centered. And if you notice that I'm kind of customizing, it's probably the best way to put it, uh, the traditional instructions here, just recognize that. I'm, I'm just playing around a little bit. Um, you, you may see some variations here. So to begin with, if you can, again, see if you can call up that felt sense of being cared about. It helps to grow um, these capabilities, for example, of feeling cared about, building up your own inner, you know, um, caring committee, which may include your own fairy godmother inside your mind, you know, the nurturing committee. Um, and then increasingly, when life is challenging, this felt sense of being cared about, that you have inner allies, will start activating increasingly automatically. But it becomes automatic after practice. So you're willfully trying to activate, trying to have a felt sense of being cared about. And by the way, it's fine if this sense of being seen, included, 
appreciated, liked, or loved, feeling cared about, in other words. Uh, it's fine if it's subtle, and yet you can give yourself over to it increasingly. It's like a mini concentration practice in meditative terms, where you allow the sense of being cared about to pervade the mind. It's what's predominantly there, even if it's subtle. All right, letting the sense of being cared about to move more to the back of the mind, bringing to mind first a benefactor, someone who's helped you, someone that it's easy to wish well, grateful to that person. And then see what it's like to wish that this person be safe. You can use the phrases, the inner language of may you be safe or even something more specific. Or you can simply, in a nonverbal way, it's perfectly fine, have this kind of uh, rippling or radiating of warm-heartedness toward the other person that's focused around their safety. I'll keep moving us along here, and it's fine to ignore my pace and do what works for you. And as we progress, I'll say less and less. Second wish, being a wish for health for your benefactor. How about happiness for your benefactor? Happiness for your benefactor.
if your mind wanders, that's natural, it's all right. Just kind of bring it back. And as you do this practice, it's fine if it's purely conceptual. If your heart is sincere, that's what really counts the most. If you authentically have the wishes that you're uh, expressing in your mind or experiencing, that's fine. That really counts. And to strengthen the experience, to get more neurons firing together so it sinks in more and more deeply, if you can, try to allow and open to and encourage a growing embodiment of lovingness, of caringness, of warm-heartedness. Exploring also just different aspects of lovingness or caringness outside the formal frame of compassion or kindness, such as friendliness or a sweetness. or even a kind of encouragement, perhaps, for the other. Seeing what works for you. And also as you do this, letting it sink in. Letting yourself actually um, receive your own compassion and kindness so that you actually are becoming, bit by bit, drop by drop, a kinder and kinder person. Then trying this again with a friend. You can stay with one friend or a group of friends, um, either way. And with your friend, exploring compassion and kindness, the wish that your friend be safe, not harmed, inner or outer harm. Friend could be a romantic partner, a spouse, mate, could be a friend in the ordinary sense, could be someone that's a friendly acquaintance. May you be safe. And then, may your friend be healthy. May your friend be happy.
May your friend live with ease. Then let's try a neutral person. Neutral being someone that you don't have particularly strong positive or negative feelings toward. Could be someone who lives down the street that you just know roughly what they look like or you just know they live there. Perhaps someone at work down the hall or um, perhaps somebody in this room that you don't know. And then see what it's like to wish that this being be free from harm, be safe. How about wishing that this neutral person be healthy? wishing that the neutral person be um, happy. And all the while, allowing yourself to be felt here, if that's real for you. It could be a very tender, even sorrowful kind of feeling. It could be a joyful feeling, that it makes you happy to be loving, which is wonderful and fine. 
you know, opening to emotion, opening to sensation in your body about your own caring and kindness. And wishing that this neutral person also live with ease. coming to oneself. Perhaps visualizing yourself on a chair in front of you or, or imagining a bird's eye view of the life that you have or perhaps yourself is a younger version even all the way back into childhood or some of these even, whatever works for you exploring this. You could use your own name in the third person or you could speak to yourself in the first person, may I? So, wishing that you be safe, free from inner and outer harm. If there are certain kinds of harm to your body or to your mind or your bank account or your life that there's no way out of, you can still wish that the core of your being be free from inner and outer harm. Now wishing that you be healthy. Knowing that you can make this quite specific if you want.
wishing that you be happy. Fulfilled, pleasured, confident, feel loved, whatever is important to you. May you be happy, truly happy. Wishing that you live with ease, materially, circumstantially, success in your work, family life. May you live with ease. And as a kind of bonus, if you can, letting in this warmth that has been coming at you, perhaps sensing it going down into bruised places inside or hungry, longing parts, young parts perhaps, that have not felt uh, wished well. Deep down inside, you can be receiving the loving kindness and compassion and warmth that you've been sending to yourself. And then, last but not least, the difficult person. So you could pick someone who's mildly difficult. It could be someone that you love or is a friend, but is kind of aggravating sometimes, especially when they've had too many beers in them or something. 
Or you could pick someone who's moderately difficult, uh, perhaps in your life today or in your, or in your past, who, who did mistreat you, um, did harm you, or tried to. Or if you feel really prepared, you could take on someone who's really difficult. But if you get swallowed up in your negative reactions to that person, you can't do the loving-kindness practice. So it, it's really okay to pick someone that's mildly or moderately difficult. And it's also okay as a factor in your loving-kindness to allow the thought to be also present in the mind that if this other person truly felt safe or healthy or happy, they wouldn't be so difficult. <laughs> That's okay, in other words. It's okay to have some self-interest as a factor in your capacity to um, wish this person well. Also remembering that you can wish them well while also seeking justice, and you can wish them well or have compassion for their suffering while being very aware of the suffering they've caused you and having compassion for yourself. So with these things in mind, bringing into awareness the difficult person, and it can sometimes help to imagine them as quite far away from you physically, like literally on the other side of the country, or earth, or universe, bringing to mind the difficult person, and beginning with wishing that they be safe, free from inner or outer harm, and seeing what this is like for you to do. Noticing that you can keep taking refuge in your own loving-kindness as if you're bobbing up and down in a kind of buoy, in, in a gentle sea in which the, there are swells or currents or ripples or waves radiating out from you toward the difficult person. With you taking refuge in your own good intentions and your own good heart. And in this way, seeing if you can also wish that the difficult person be healthy, mentally and physically healthy.
then seeing, and this can be sometimes challenging, then seeing if you can wish that the difficult person be happy. Truly happy in some form or another. And sometimes help here to wish for a deep sort of underlying well-being in the difficult person, in part because if that were present, it might help this person be less difficult. It's okay if that's true for you. Last, seeing if you can wish ease for this difficult person. Ease defined one way or another as you like. May you be at ease. May you live with ease. and disengaging from the difficult person. And for the last minute here, simply relaxing into and radiating, as the Buddha said, loving kindness in all directions to include all beings, known and unknown, the great and the small, omitting none, human and non-human, the animals, the the water, the, the land, the air, plants, microorganisms, people all around the world, sending compassion and loving kindness in all directions.
So, um, how was that for you? And any comments or questions about what that practice right there? Lily will bring you the microphone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.